0: At the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world, and you can become the next big success story. Now, here is your host, Maureen Metcalf.
1: Hi, welcome to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future. Today's topic is intentional integrity, how smart companies can lead an ethical revolution. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. I'm the founder and CEO of the Innovative Leadership Institute. We help leaders identify disruptive trends and develop strategies to transform themselves and their organizations into industry leaders. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author on an award-winning book series focusing on innovating how you lead and transforming your organization. I'm also a fellow with the International Leadership Association. I am delighted that today our guest is Rob Chestnut. Rob is the Chief Ethics Officer at Airbnb a role he took in late 2019 after nearly four years as the company's general counsel. He previously led eBay's North American legal team, where he founded the Internet's first e-commerce person-to-person platform trust and safety team. He was the general counsel at Chegg Inc. for nearly six years and served 14 years with the U.S. Justice Department. So today we're going to talk about the idea that companies that don't think seriously about the crucial element of corporate culture, integrity, are destined to fail. As our workplaces are becoming more diverse, global and connected, integrity matters more than ever. It requires leadership from the top, but it also requires that everyone in the company have a shared sense of what integrity means in their workplace and a strong, empowered voice to put that integrity into practice. Rob joins the show to share his experiences experiences in this work and also to talk about his new book, Intentional integrity: How smart companies can lead an ethical revolution. So, Rob, I am delighted to have you join us. Maureen, thanks for having me. So, do you want to tell us anything more about your background before we jump into our first question? Um, You know,
2: I've had an interesting background in that it's uh, it's about rules. You know, as a federal prosecutor, I dealt with you know violations of federal law. Um, And interestingly, I probably had one of the worst. Violations of workplace integrity, as one as a case I handled, some of your your listeners may remember Aldrich Ames, uh, uh, who was a, a spy for the Russian government while he was with the CIA, and that, that I think is a prime example
1: of a lack of integrity in the workplace. You know, I would love to spend the whole hour talking about that, but I realize it's not <laughs> our topic today. But if you want to throw some information in during the conversation, it would be. Fascinating. All right, I'll try. Okay. So every week we see organizations like Facebook, Google, Boeing, and even the Houston Astros come under fire for failing to live up to their values. What's at stake if companies don't directly and explicitly address integrity?
2: Well, I think we've seen that an integrity failure uh, can wreck a brand. Um, and what's interesting, you know, Marine, is in, in the old days, um, a, a lot of bad behavior got swept under the rug. You know, I don't think that suddenly companies are engaging in bad behavior now. This stuff's been going on for decades. But the internet has created a platform where, you know, literally anyone inside your company can become a whistleblower. Uh, you know, Susan Fowler at Uber, for example, her blog post um, literally changed the entire course of that company. So, you know, things that were uh, swept under the rug in the past, are now um, you know with one instant and immediately go out to the entire world and be shared. And when they do, um, the world is not forgiving. Um, it can wreck your brand, um, and it can have a big impact on your financials. Um, you know, there's a lot of data, Maureen, that's uh, come out. Companies that are perceived to be ethical outperform the market. And they outperform their peers. So you know in the old days, I think some people thought that, um, you know well, we don't have time for ethics, you know last you know last, nice guys finish last. Well, mm-hmm. in reality, what's happening is um, if you don't pay attention to ethics, um, it can destroy your brand and have a major impact on your bottom line.
1: Yeah, I was working in the utility space for Accenture, uh, the old Arthur Anderson, the the consulting arm during the Enron meltdown, and it took down not only Enron, but a lot of the associated companies, including the accounting firm of Arthur Anderson. It, It seems like the consequences in some of the big fails have been dramatic, it can be like a tornado. It
2: can tear up everything, uh, everything in its path. You know, any, if you're associated um, uh, with a big ethical failure,
1: um, it can tarnish your, your brand. It can tarnish your reputation. Well, you know, the, what seemed unfortunate about that specific one, just because I had more knowledge of it, is the amount of people injured who were normal working people. You know, their life savings were invested in company stock and things like that, that they had no party to the unethical behavior, and yet the consequences for them were quite dire. Unethical behavior is often really selfish, Maureen.
2: You know, it's, it's people who are focused on the world through their own lens and, and what benefits them. And what they they fail to realize is that unethical behavior can have a major impact on so many people around them. Um, you're right, and it, it, Enron is a one sad example of how so many people were negatively impacted by the you know, the the selfish
1: behavior of a relatively few number of people. Well, you know what's what is curious to me is we've seen now that was 20 years ago ish. We've seen the erosion of trust of leaders because of, as you said, a handful of people. And it's been a handful of people across every industry and every sector. We've got government officials who've been unethical. Aldrich Ames as a beautiful example, or at least illustrative example. Well, the uh, we've Boy had- Scouts, right? The Boy Scouts, religious organizations, right? It's, it's everywhere. Well, and at a minimum, you expect your religious organizations to be ethical. You would, right?
2: Um, there's an interesting uh, organization called the Edelman Trust Barometer, and they do surveys of tens of thousands of people around the world to get people's uh, perceptions of institutions, uh, government, religious organizations, business, and the like. And they measure trust. Um, and the you know the twenty twenty version of their te- uh, their uh, study just came out. Nobody trusts anybody anymore. Trust is down across virtually all institutions because in many cases because of these in- integrity
1: failures. Well, and so we we find that ourselves at this point in time in the midst of the COVID nineteen pandemic, that low level of trust must impact how we're able to navigate the pandemic. Well, trust is
2: a prerequisite for getting things done. Um, when trust is low, uh, people are unable to work effectively together. And you know what is so troubling, you know, Maureen, is that we need to work together now more than ever. We need government, we need business. We need, you know, uh, nonprofits. We need to be effective in order to solve some of the world's biggest problems. Um, and when we need it the most, trust is actually at its lowest. Which is why we've got to take a step back and we've got to start focusing on things like integrity to help rebuild that trust.
1: So, in your book, you write about the difference between integrity and intentional integrity. What's intentional integrity and how can it help us get out of this integrity crisis and the the corresponding trust crisis? When I go out and speak, Maureen,
2: I often ask people in the audience, how many people have integrity? And and, uh, a number of hands go up, but also a lot of confused looks. And people are looking around like, is it okay that I think I've got integrity? Um, Integrity for so long has been a poster on the wall. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, a pretty sunset, a nice forest, a lake with the word integrity underneath. But nobody talks about what it means. No one knows what mm-hmm. it means. Um, you know, I, I, In companies, um, there's a, a compliance poster on the wall in four-point font in the break room that nobody reads. Um, there's a code of ethics that usually the law firm wrote or somebody downloaded it off the internet and then you email it out to everyone and saying, check a box that you've read this and we'll live by it. And then no one ever ever talks about it anymore. Intentional integrity is a little different. Intentional integrity is where you have an honest, authentic human conversation inside of a company about what your values are, what's your purpose as a company, and what does integrity mean? Um, And it's something that's actually endorsed by leadership as part of the way that you do business. Um, And it's that intentionality, I think, that is what makes integrity powerful, really almost like a superpower that can have a a significant positive impact on your business if you can tap into it.
1: And a significant negative impact on your business if you don't. Exactly. Exactly. Well, and so we, you and I, before the interview started, we're talking about, it's not only the pandemic we're facing, but we're also in the midst of a climate crisis and and several other, but climate being one of the big ones. And we can't agree on if it is a crisis across some circles. Um, I think you and I probably do agree, um, but there is so much conflicting information that, back to the topic of trust, without act- acting with very clear and intentional integrity, people are doing their best and and just confused about where to look for things as simple as accurate information. Yeah,
2: we need companies to step up. Huh? You know, one of the things I talk about in the book, um, for decades, uh, you know, you and I have heard this, you know, what, what's, the, uh, what's the purpose of a company? Why do companies exist? And, you know, for decades, the answer was pretty simple, um, to drive shareholder value, to get stock price up. And not much else was expected of companies. And that is, we've seen a dramatic shift just in the last couple of years on this thinking. Um, you know, at Airbnb, you know, Brian Chesky, you know, the founder of Airbnb, his parents were social workers. He didn't go to business school. So, you know, what he focuses on and what more and more companies are focused on is multiple stakeholders. You know, sure, we have an obligation to our investors, um, you know, uh, uh, our shareholders to, to do right by them financially, but we've also got other stakeholders that we recognize are important. Um, For example, employees, guests and hosts on Airbnb, and the community at large. So more and more companies are recognizing that they've got um, an obligation to think about other stakeholders. And one of those stakeholders can be the community at large, and climate change is part of that. So I really believe that companies need to specifically acknowledge that If they're going to be successful, um, they need to be thinking about things beyond just this quarter's number. They need to be thinking about how they can uh, positively have an impact on the communities where they operate and need to be thinking about the implications of their broader actions.
1: And it looks like some of at least the U.S. top CEOs, and I believe this has happened in other countries as well, are now acknowledging that and taking steps to integrate integrity and sustainability and a focus on the greater good into their purpose. I've seen
2: some very encouraging signs. Like Take Microsoft. Um, 20 years ago, um, I would have uh, looked at a company like Microsoft and said, you know, a really hard-charging competitive company that doesn't particularly have a reputation for integrity. Um, today, um, you know, they, they are leading in a number of areas in this multi-stakeholder approach. You know, they've announced an intention to be carbon negative, for example. And actually, to, from a net perspective, to take out the car- all of the carbon that they have been responsible for as a company since their founding. Um, this is not because it's profitable in any direct short-term sense. It's because they're recognizing that they've got a broader obligation to society. And the interesting thing is, by acknowledging these broader obligations to other stakeholders, it is actually having a positive impact on their business. Um, we're even seeing this with smaller companies. Um, I was just looking uh, as a company called Etsy, um, mm-hmm. an online marketplace yep. for um, uh, for folks that make crafts goods. Um, they have joined in an initiative um, to to help offset the carbon that they are putting into the the air due to their shipping, and they've partnered with three other companies, including Akamai and Apple. Um, to help build alternative sources of power to offset their impact as well. So more and more companies, large and small, are learning that this is part of an obligation of being a company today in the world. And if they do this, it's something that's going to resonate with their employees. It's going to resonate with their customers and ultimately probably
1: make their business stronger. And so, as we wrap up this segment, it seems that all of this comes back to the the construct of intentional integrity. That's right. It's about setting a course
2: with your purpose. What is your purpose as a company? Why do you exist? What are your stakeholders? And what are you going to specifically do about it, owning it as a company?
1: You know, when we look at our leadership competencies and what we think is required of leaders as we move into, um, well, leaders who lead effectively during disruption, unwavering commitment to right action is one of the seven, both mindsets and competencies that leaders and their organizations that will thrive have to have this commitment.
2: Yeah, no, and I agree. It's got to start from the top. Um, it's not something that your HR department or your uh, you know, your committee, your ESG committee can do. Um, your leaders have to embrace this because if a leader doesn't buy into it, the entire company
1: sees right through it perfect. Thank you. On that note, we're going to go on break, and I'm going to ask our listeners as we are on break to consider what are some of the who are some of the best examples of demonstrating integrity and how has that made their organization more successful? We'll be right back. This is Maureen Metcalf and Rob Chestnut, and we're talking about Rob's book, Intentional Integrity: How Smart Companies Can Lead an Ethical Revolution. Welcome back to Innovating Leadership, co-creating our future. Today, our guest is Rob Chestnut, and he's talking about his new book, Intentional Integrity, How Smart Companies Can Lead an Ethical Revolution. So we're going to talk more about intentional integrity. Rob, you started your career as a federal prosecutor who tried CIA spies like Aldrich Ames. Uh, Then you moved to to run trust and safety at eBay during the dot-com boom, and now you're at Airbnb. Uh, Obviously, a very broad range of experiences. How have these shaped your thoughts about intentional integrity? Um.
2: When I was a federal prosecutor, um, you, you get a certain view of the world, unfortunately, because you, you're dealing all day with people who are breaking rules and often doing it with some level of malevolence. Um, when I got to, to eBay, though, it was interesting. I, I had a talk with the founder of eBay, uh, Pierre Omidyar, and the company was based on a philosophy that people are basically good. And that was, and when you're a federal prosecutor, that's not exactly you know what you uh, you know what <laughs> what you deal with every day. Um, but uh, what I learned at eBay and then took with me when I went to Airbnb is the importance of trust. The importance when you have two total strangers. Look at eBay; it was the the trust that you know you're going to send money off to some total stranger in another part of the world, and you're you're going to get what was advertised. It goes even further in Airbnb. You're actually going to be staying under the same roof with a stranger. Um, So What I've really uh, had impressed upon me as I've gone through my career is the importance of trust. How um, trust is fundamental to the way that we interact together as human beings. And when there is that level of trust, great things really are possible. Um, but when you're, particularly when you're an internet company, it's not a given. You need to do things to uh, bolster trust, to help build trust and promote an environment where trust is important. Um, and when, when it comes to integrity as well, um, and this is something that came out in the Edelman Trust Survey, um, trust is at the lowest levels Um, that they've seen since they started doing the the survey, I think, over three decades ago. Um, What is the number one thing that can build trust, according to the survey? Um, And what they learned is that there are two things that build trust. One is competence, and the other is integrity. Um, If you have confidence in someone else's intentions and their integrity, that Builds trust, and the interesting thing is, uh, of the two, which one is more powerful? Integrity is three times as powerful as competence. So, if you want to go about building relationships of trust that that relationships and business are based upon, focus first on integrity.
1: So, can we unpack the idea of integrity? And uh, what I'm wondering, I, I use a 360 instrument, the leadership circle, and integrity is one of the questions. And when people get low integrity scores, I think they confuse it with "I don't steal money out of the church collection plate," therefore, I'm a person of integrity. And you're using a much, um, much more in uh, complex definition. Can you describe and and define for our listeners exactly what intentional integrity is as you're talking about, especially in the business and leadership space?
2: Right. Well the discussion of integrity has got to start with what what what's your purpose? What are your values? Mm-hmm. And actually stating them, right? You've got to have a sense of of, of purpose that has to accord with something that society would generally recognize as good. Um, there can be um, disagreement. Um, your definition of what's good or right or has, has value uh, can be different than mine, and that's okay. But integrity is about recognizing that having values like that are important, defining them, and then with intentionality, pursuing them. And living by them, even if no one's watching, even if it's against your self-interest, that's what integrity is about, as a business and really as a human being. What makes this challenging is that we're kind of easy on ourselves. Um, I talk, I spent some time talking to a scientist, uh, a behavioral scientist at Duke University, his name's Dan Ari- Ariely, and um, you know Dan uh, studies. Honesty and Dishonesty. In fact, he's even got a movie called Dishonesty. And he does a number of experiments. He does an interesting experiment on dishonesty um, where he fills up a room, gives everybody um, a sheet of math problems, and tells everybody, okay, I'm not going to give you enough time to finish the problems on the sheet, but I want you to start doing the problems. And when I say stop, I want you to put your pencil down. So he says start. People start filling out the problems. Um, He says, stop. People put the pencil down. He then says, come to the front of the room with your sheet of paper. I want you to put the sheet of paper in a shredder. Here's the shredder. After you put it in the shredder, walk over to the proctor. Tell the proctor how many problems you completed. And we're going to give you a dollar for every problem you completed. So people start coming up to the front of the room. They put their math sheet in the shredder. Walk over. tell, Tell the proctor how many problems they did. Now, what Dan Ariely doesn't tell people is that the shredder only shreds the outer edge of the piece of paper. So he actually knows how many problems you really did do. What he's measuring is how many people tell the truth about how many problems they've done. Maureen, how many people, what percentage of people do you think tell the truth? 38.
1: 30%. And he's done this. 30%
2: Thirty percent tell the truth. Seventy yeah. percent of people lie about how many problems they've done. Now, but when you ask people in the room how many how many people have integrity, they all raise their hand. Right. Now, most of the people on these math problems don't tell huge whopping lies. They are they fudge it. It's called the fudge factor. And what uh, what Danny Aielli discovered is that um, we all tend to act in our self-interest, um, and we will but we will fudge. Only so far as we, as we can do it and still feel good about ourselves. So we can all rationalize our actions a little bit. We all see the world through our own lens and can rationalize a bit. Um, and that's the way that businesses act and that's the way that human beings act. If there is no framework, if there's no set of values, if there are no specific guidelines or even no um, calling, to do something ethical. So one thing that uh, Dan Ariely did as a, a variant of this experiment, same experiment, but at the beginning, he says, before you start on the math problems, I want you to write down as many of the Ten Commandments as you can remember. Write that at the top of the page, then we'll start the math problems. So what did he learn? One, he learned that nobody can remember all ten of the Ten Commandments. Number two, when he ask people to think about the Ten Commandments before the problem, guess what happens to cheating? Virtually disappears. Really? So, Yeah. So it is reminding people of their higher self, reminding people of the importance of ethics and integrity has a major impact on how we all act and can have a significant impact on integrity both in our personal lives and in companies. That's really quite fascinating, actually. right So but again, yeah. most companies don't talk about integrity. So you end up in most companies with the with the first scenario where everybody is sort of free to themselves to decide for themselves what's right or wrong. But when you as a company embrace certain principles of integrity, talk about integrity, make it part of your culture what you find is that you're far less likely to have integrity-related issues.
1: So just simply talking about it and talking about living your values, being clear about what they are, not that they agree, not that yours and mine agree, but that I am explicit about them and just by the, the act of discussing it increases the probability that I'll live to it. Because we all, we all want
2: to feel good about ourselves. And part of that is judging our behavior versus our peer behavior. So if we believe that everyone around us is acting with integrity, then we are far more likely to act with integrity. Um, one of the experiments Ariely did was um, he, had, he did the, the, that, that exact study at a college and he had one person, a plant in the room come into the room wearing the rival's sweatshirt, okay? And he had that rival stand up before the, the the end signal and say, all done. And clearly there was no way he could be done because there were far too many problems. Walk up to the front of the room, collect the money, and walk out. Everybody else in the room, cheating went down because everybody in the room looked at the outsider who was wearing the rival sweatshirt with such discipline, because they all recognize that, wow, that person is clearly cheating. That called on them to think of their higher selves. So Hmm. creating an environment where we believe that our
1: peers are following the rules has a major impact. Okay, that's interesting as well. So I want to jump to a different topic because we couldn't talk about ethics without talking about the Me Too movement. You cover a lot of topics in your book, including dating in the workplace and the Me Too movement. What are some of the surprising ethical blind spots that companies should be paying attention to?
2: Well, when it comes to Me Too, I've talked to leaders at companies who think that, oh, um, romance will happen. And nothing we can do about it. Everybody just needs to use good judgment. But what we've seen over and over again is that romance in the workplace um, carries with it a lot of dangers, particularly when there's an imbalance. And individuals in power are often tempted to use that power to get sex. So, um, and that thinking has led to a number of corporate scandals and wrecked a number of careers. So we actually had a conversation you know, in the spirit of intentional integrity. I walked into the executive team meeting one day and said, um, you know, the Me Too movement um, is really exposing a lot of terrible behavior and is ruining a number of careers. I have a proposition. The executive team at Airbnb, there were a dozen of us at the time, I think that we should all agree that none of us will engage in any romantic relationship with another employee or vendor. And we should state that intention. And, you know, there was silence in the room. Um, we looked around, and one person laughed and said, oh, Rob, we're all married or in romantic relationships anyway. That shouldn't matter. And I said, well, judging from what I'm reading about the Me Too movement, being married it does. doesn't <laughs> stop people, right? It doesn't stop no. people. So I said, again, what do you all think? And we went around the room, we looked at each other in the eye, and we said, you know what? Rob's right. That's something that's dangerous, could hurt our brand. We don't need to go there. And we all committed to each other in the room that we would not engage in any romantic relationship with any employee, even if it's consensual. Then we put it in our code of ethics. And then we told the rest of the company that that was a pledge that we had taken. So by being specific about what integrity means to us inside the company when it comes to those sorts of relationships. By looking at each other in the eye and making that commitment, and by then stating it in the code of ethics, we believe that we're far less likely to have a problem like this in the the Airbnb workplace. Now, we also have a rule at Airbnb that managers cannot have a romantic relationship with anyone on their team. Again, because of that power dynamic. But otherwise, in the workplace at Airbnb, To employees, for example, who are are not in that management relationship, they can have a relationship, but we're specific about what sorts of relationships are okay and are not okay. And I think by being intentional
1: about it, um, we're far less likely to have a problem. So back to the word then of intentional integrity, not just do we, not do we just leave it to people's own perception about what is acting with integrity, but we are very clear about stating our intentions, and our commitments to one another.
2: And and not only that, but also looking at each other as a team and saying, we're all going to act this way. This is the way we're going to do it. So now there's this shared belief with everyone on the executive team that we're going to follow the rule. And by the way, I follow that up with a, a periodic annual conversation, one-on-one, where we emphasize, highlight the rule again. Because each of us believes that the other is following the rule, we are far less likely to violate it ourselves because we know how much it would disappoint everyone else in the room. We all realize that it would be violating a promise we made to each other, and so therefore, that's the way that we operate.
1: Beautiful. I think that was a wonderful illustration, and we'll pick that up in the final segment. So, as we go on to break, I encourage our listeners to think about what are there. Are you explicit about your purpose? Are you explicit about ideas like areas of integrity that we will not violate and do you hold that out to your employees or your colleagues as an example our guest today is rob chestnut and we are talking about his new book intentional integrity how smart companies can lead an ethical revolution we'll be right back
0: Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with the Innovative Leadership Institute. Visit innovativeleadershipinstitute.com today. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are at home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. You are listening to Innovative Leadership co-creating our future. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Now back to this week's program.
1: Welcome back to Innovating Leadership, Co-creating Our Future. Our guest today is Rob Chestnut, and he is talking about his book, Intentional Integrity How Smart Companies Can Lead an Ethical Revolution. And as Rob said in several of his comments, that we are at a record low as we think about topics like trust. And a lot of that is attributed to the behaviors of leaders across all sectors and the behaviors they've demonstrated that most of us would consider a violation of integrity. So, Rob, the first question in this segment, I think a lot of people hear culture of integrity and worry that their values and those of their companies might diverge. What advice do you have for companies uh, who have to reinforce common standards of integrity while at the same time respecting employees rights to their personal opinions and preferences. And we're again, back to the pandemic, we're seeing people balancing health considerations with economic considerations. And this feels like, um, where our, where our personal, um, concerns diverge, we see significant differences in, in behaviors.
2: Right. You know what? I, Let's start with, as a, as a company, you want to talk about your purpose and your values. And, and in doing so, you will attract employees. And by the way, I think you will attract customers who respect those values and who want to be part of it. You know, as an employee, what we hear from employees over and over again is that um, they want to be proud of where they work. Um it's, it's not just a line on their resume or on LinkedIn. It actually becomes part of their brand. And if they are uh, proud of where they work and proud of what their company stands for and is what it is trying to accomplish in the world, they'll buy into the mission. They'll work 10, 12 hours a day and more. They'll give everything they've got with passion and enthusiasm. On the other hand, if they're part of a company and they see things going on at the company that they're ashamed of, they don't like. What we're seeing is an increased willingness to stand up and speak about it. You know, we've seen things um, in the recent last couple of years. We've seen uh, thousands of employees walk out at places like Google and Facebook and Amazon and Wayfair and Salesforce. We've seen petitions. Employees are increasingly speaking up if they feel that their company is acting in a way that's not consistent with their values. And usually, by the way, it's not just consistent with their values, but it's consistent with general notions of integrity. Um, So I think companies need to recognize that failing to act with integrity is something that um, in today's environment, they can expect to get called out on by employees. Um to the detriment of the workplace. Now, to be fair, there can be different interpretations of what the right thing to do is. And in some cases, you know, uh, what one company may genuinely believe is acting with integrity and the right thing to do might differ from what some employees do uh, believe. Um, but generally when you're an employer, you're you're not making rules in areas that are, uh, broadly beyond the scope of employment. And what I've found is that employees, um, they may not agree exactly with the way that you handle things, but they respect the fact that you're trying and they respect the fact that you're trying to talk about it. I mean, I'll, I'll give you an example. I, As part of uh, what, we, what we do at Airbnb, we have a, a talk about integrity with all employees in the company. In fact, we start it their first week. We have an orientation week at Airbnb. It's a series of 10 to, 12 excuse me, about 20 to 25 classes. Um, and when we first started it, people looked at me and said, wow, Rob, you want an hour to talk about ethics? Um, you know, we're not trying to drive them out of the company. We're trying to bring them in. Um, and I laughed and I said, no, I actually think people will enjoy this. Um, sure enough, it's the number one ranked class, according to the surveys in all of orientation. Um, I had a woman come up to me at the last one very last class, and this is not unusual, she had tears in her eyes at the end of the class. And she said, Rob, I want you to know that I left my last company because I kept being propositioned by my boss. And I didn't trust my prior company to do anything about it, so I never reported it. And she said, if I had heard at my last company what I just heard today, she said, I would have reported it. And you have no idea, she said, what it means to come to a work at a company that genuinely values integrity and really cares about trying to do the right thing. That means the world to me. So, I I think employees will give you some slack in that maybe every rule might not be something exactly the way that they would like. Um, But I think what they will do is they will respect you for making integrity part of your culture intentionally and I think they will Um, they will actually love to buy into a place um, that makes us part of the culture.
1: Yeah, It's interesting, especially the example you gave. I think people are realizing with the Me Too movement that not everyone has a boss come in and and, uh, grope them or, or overstep to that level. But most of the women I know have been at least subjected to inappropriate passes from bosses that just given the, again, given the power dynamics make the workplace a lot more complex than it needs to be. And coming to a workplace where that is just not an issue would be such a relief. Well,
2: you know, I'll give you an example of one of the, the, the specifics we talk about at Airbnb. You know, a boss cannot ask out someone on their team. It's just simply not allowed. Um, even if it's welcome, quote-unquote welcome. Because think of the power dynamic. I mean, how would you feel if your boss asked you out? I mean, I, the first thing that comes to my mind would be, what happens if I say no? I, I wouldn't ever want someone to be in a position to feel pressured to be involved in a romantic relationship because of that. Um, another thing we talk about is uh, just being pressured to go out on a date with anyone at work isn't the right environment. So we have an uh, ask-out-once rule at Airbnb, you may ask, if you're not a manager, you're just a colleague in the workplace, um, you may ask someone out one time. If they say no, then you must drop it. So even if the person says, oh, you know, it's I'm so sorry, but I've got friends coming in from out of town or my dog's sick, well, maybe their dog is sick and maybe they really do have relatives coming in from out of town. Um, but maybe they're just nicely saying no. So our rule is, if you get a no for any reason, then you must stand down, and you may not ask the person out again, because we don't want people to feel badgered. We don't want someone to feel uncomfortable that they're being pressured. This is not a bar. You know, if you want in mm-hmm. your personal life outside of work, if you want to ask someone out a couple of times, and uh, you know maybe try, you know try to push them a little bit harder, that's up to you. That's your personal decision. But if you do it in the workplace, you're actually impacting someone's ability to do their best work. So we don't want that kind of an environment. So, And by the way, Facebook has the same rule. Ask out once.
1: If you get a no, then you need to move on. I I love that. I want to go to a different topic. Um, You you write that you can't outsource integrity and that to be authentic, persuasive, um, and authentic and pervasive and persuasive. Integrity must come directly from the organization's leaders. It also needs to come from everyone, but it won't happen if you don't have leaders who model this. Can you give one piece of advice to every CEO uh, about this? Uh, what, I, what would it be? I,
2: well, first of all, I would love to be able to tell all the CEOs out there, you know, just hire me. I'll come in and give a speech to your company and everybody's gonna have integrity and it's gonna be better. Um, It would be a lot better for me, but unfortunately what I've found is that employees see right through that stuff. You can't can't hire some third party to come in with a nice slide deck and inspire somebody with integrity um, and walk out because at the end of the day, integrity has to come from the top of a company. It has to come from the leadership. And it, it can't be something that a mid-level HR person decides that they're simply going to start. Um, it has to be bought in by a CEO. And, I, you know, look, one thing I tell CEOs is it's on you. It's on you to embrace this and make it part of the culture of the company. Now, you don't have to do all of the mechanics. You don't have to, you know, write the code of ethics yourself, you know, like Moses come down with stone tablets. You don't have to do all of the work. But you have to realize that your words and actions are crucial. And Mm -hmm. everyone watches how you act. And they will model their behavior off of you. And if you say one thing and do the other, then you're just a hypocrite and you'll get nowhere. Mm -hmm. Um, You got to own it. Um, But if you are willing to own it, and you're willing to say that this is the way that we want to operate as a team, then the benefits of that additional trust
1: and that the buy-in you'll get from that purpose can be tremendous. Beautiful. So we are coming up on six minutes left. Can we do five minutes on the very practical applications? You've talked about what one piece of advice you would give CEOs beyond hiring you or, or in addition to hiring you. <laughs> or don't, or um, don't hire me. Do it yourself, actually, would be the, would be the advice. But yeah, well, it's um, both. But my, what are the practical, other tactical things every leader needs to be doing? You know, my
2: book is if you're looking for Socrates and
1: Plato and a discussion
2: of the theory of ethics, my book's not the place to go. What you know my book talks about is practically speaking, how can you drive integrity into your culture? How do you do it? So um, you know uh, the, the first thing that I tell people is you've got to get buy-in from the leaders of the company because without that buy-in, um, you will get nowhere. Uh, but with that buy-in, all things are possible. Um, so have a conversation with leadership, um, or if you're a leader or CEO, um, start with the recognition that integrity is a, a little, it's an uncomfortable topic for some people. I think some people are afraid to talk about integrity because they feel like, well, I'm human, I've made mistakes, who am I to be preaching about integrity to others? You've got to get over that. You're not preaching about it to others. We, we all walk into this integrity conversation as human beings who are imperfect. And integrity is not about being perfect. Integrity is about, you know, setting your intentions about the way that you aspire to be, and setting out your purpose, and then charting a course to act that way. And if you make a mistake, as you will, um, having the self awareness to recognize that you made a mistake, and move on from there, and staying to try to stay on that path. So, um, I think it's. Start with the leadership. Um, Live with the discomfort a little bit of talking about it, but recognize how valuable it is to your company. Um, Another thing I would do is um, you need to start with a code of ethics that's yours, not something that your law firm gave you, not something that you you downloaded from another company off the internet, Um, but get a group of employees together. Um, Start as a base, perhaps, with another company that you admire as their code of ethics, but Draft something in your own language, make it your own, weave in your own corporate language, your own values, your own purpose, um, and set out in there something that reflects the values of your company. Because every code of ethics is, in fact, something that should uniquely be your own. Um, with and and many companies today, by the way, diversity is a strength. However. Diversity also means that everybody's coming to the workplace with their own sense of right and wrong, their own socioeconomic background, their own religions. So you need to work together as a diverse team of people, a a committee, to to come up with a code of ethics that the company can buy into. Um, And then once you do it, don't email it out. Well, you can email it out, but that is not going to get the right tone. You need to have a conversation with it about it. And it can be a powerful conversation if it's led by a leader. I've had so many people at Airbnb come up to me and say, Rob, you have no idea what it means to have a conversation like this from one of the company's leaders. Because I know that if a leader is telling me this, that the company really is bought into it and that we're going to do things that way. Um, Having a mid-level person own the conversation won't send a powerful message like that. Um, And I think one of the last things I'll mention is you can't just have one conversation about it and assume that uh, everyone's going to remember that message. We make it a part of every orientation. We have a regular drumbeat about this in different formats. We make short vignette videos about it. We talk about it occasionally, time to time, at company meetings. I'll go out and do a little refresher talks about it. You know, I was talking to Adam Silver. You know. There are several stories about Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA, in my book. Um, and he talks about integrity, and he, he likens it to television advertising. He says, look, you, know, you can't just run a television ad once and expect that everybody's going to get the message. There's a lot of value in just repeating this. So that if you talk about it in a number of different ways, but keep that drumbeat going, eventually it will sink in with people,
1: and it will make a real impact. Beautiful. So you've got one minute left. Please tell people again, name of your book, where to reach you. Sure. Uh, the name of the book is Intentional
2: Integrity, um, How did, uh, you know, How Smart Companies Can uh, Drive an, an Ethical Revolution. It comes out in St. Martin's Press um, and it's available through all the normal outlets, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. and I love independent bookstores. You can get them there as well. Um, if you want information about the book, more details, you can go to www.intentionalintegrity.com. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, but you know, I think what you're going to find is that there's a lot of conversation uh, going on about this throughout the press about the value of integrity and having a multiple stakeholder approach in companies. So
1: I encourage everybody to get involved in that conversation. Thank you so much, Rob. So workplaces are becoming more diverse, global, and connected, and integrity matters more than ever. It requires everyone in the company have to sh- have a shared sense of what integrity means in their workplace and a strong, empowered voice to put that integrity into practice, starting with the leaders. I trust that you, the listeners, have gotten value from this conversation and heard something that you can put into place immediately. We encourage you to join us again and reach out to me personally, Info at InnovateLeader.com or connect with me on LinkedIn, Maureen Metcalf. We look forward to you joining us again soon and please give us a top ranking on your favorite uh, listening channel.
0: Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovating Leadership, co-creating our future with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope you'll join us then and have a great week.